Hey, if you want to hear every episode of The Rewatchables, over 213 movies in all, you can find them only on Spotify. Everything from the last 45 days is available on all platforms. But the entire Rewatchables archives, some classic, classic movies available only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where I hope you're checking out my podcast. I hope you're checking out The Watch with Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald. They broke down succession right after the final episode. On Sunday night, we have the Prestige TV podcast as well, where Sean Fennessy and Joanna Robinson will be doing their deep dive podcast on Tuesday. And my podcast comes back Tuesday as well, talking a little NBA. Coming up. So what's it going to be, Chris? Head or gut? Head or gut? What do you say? Which one? This is what you asked me before you hired me at Grantland. <laughs> the Last Boy Scout is next. He's a private detective who's run out of luck. He's an ex-quarterback who was thrown from the gate. They were trying to clean up their act when they got dragged into the dirty world of gridiron corruption. Now they've got one shot to get the goods on the bad guys if they don't kill each other first. What am I going to do? Point at the bad guys and shoot! Bruce Willis, Damon Wayans, The Last Boy Scout, rated R. Starts Friday, December 13th at a theater near you. All right, Chris Ryan is here. My name is Bill Simmons. We were tackling The Last Boy Scout. It came out 30 years ago. Uh, was not that well-received when it came out and has pretty quickly, I, it's somewhere, it's not a cult classic. It's bigger than a cult classic. It was seen by a lot of people. It made a fair amount of money. It had a major star in it. It had a major director. Uh, it has had an incredible rewatchable one. What's a word for between successful and cult classic? Oh, that's a great question. So like, what is the like, it, it's not it's not quite cult, but it has like a deli delayed reaction. Yeah, it's like a delayed, delayed hit. Yeah, yeah. What's what are they, the pills that have delayed release or they they go out throughout the night kind of? Right. right. Or it's just a rewatchable. Yes. Um, this is a really fun era. We've been doing action movies all year in the rewatchables and we've covered both Terminators with the first two lethal weapons. We've done Beverly Hills Cop and 48 Hours and all these ones in the past. 
this is not, this is like the younger brother of those movies. It takes a lot of the DNA of things that work from basically- It's a fucked up younger cousin is what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's like, is he coming to Thanksgiving? Because hide the China if that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's like learn from the, the, the good things and also the mistakes from like 1982 to 1990 uh, gave it some steroids and some HGH and went kind of bonkers with it. And it, there's just a lot of swings, right? Isn't that, we should start there. Just this movie takes huge, huge swings for an action movie. We just did JFK and it's a testament to Last Boy Scout that I watched Last Boy Scout and I was like, man, this movie's pretty dark. <laughs> you know, like, like we just did JFK and I'm like, that's, that's nothing compared to this. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is a movie that feels like it was made in a lab in a cool way. So yeah. it has a great story behind the story, which we'll get into, but is coming sort of at the really bloated, shiny, excessive end of this action movie era where it's just like probably a guy, maybe a little hopped up on some some funny powders being like, you know what would be a great idea for a movie is if this happened. And then you yeah. kind of feel like in six months that that movie got made and the people involved have such huge personalities and egos and stories behind them. But yeah, this movie is like, every time you think they've topped it, they, they, they amp it up. And I think that's the Joel Silver of it is it just keeps cranking the volume. Yeah. And it's a modern ish movie. You know, we took, we did Cobra, Kyle Brandt and I did Cobra on this a few, few months ago which is a rewatchable movie in its own right, but feels very rooted in the 80s. Like, it, there's just a lot of ego. It's incoherent, makes no sense whatsoever. This, that 1990, 91, 92, of, has all the elements of the 80s, but they're a little smarter at how they do it, but still has all the ego and the craziness. And the stories in this film were legendary. I mean, you had Tony Scott and Joel Silver who produced it. Joel Silver's at the peak of his powers. Mm -hmm. They hate each other. Bruce Willis is in here. He's coming off Hudson Hawk and he's coming up on fire of the vanity. So he needs a hit. Like his star's starting to fall after after Die Hard. And it, just, it seems like he's one of the biggest stars in the world. Now he need he needs one. So he comes in with some ego. Then you have Damon Wayans trying to prove himself as like kind of the new guy. Can I be the next Eddie Murphy? Yeah. Like who knows how it's going to play out with him. And none of them get along. And you have this script that Shane Black sold for what was a record at the time, $1.75 million, which became pretty legendary even before the movie got made. There's a bidding war. And we've talked about this. And, and we've talked about it a couple of times because we've been doing 30-year anniversaries from 91. This is that era of the premier magazine, New York, New York Magazine, where people like us are actually learning about movies from some of this stuff. I remember the Shane Black script becoming a thing before they made the movie. And that yeah. was one of the selling points of the movie, which I'm pretty sure had not happened before. No, this is that string where it's this. And then, I mean, I, I guess my my teenage boy self owes a lot to this movie because it was because of this movie that Joe Esterhaus was like, I got to do Basic Instinct because <laughs> right. I got to top Shane Black's record-setting script sale. And then Black would do it again with Long Kiss Goodnight. There was this kind of, um, you know, this this gold level gold club screenwriter who was selling these huge multi-million dollar projects that were pretty much ready made for like stars at the time. Yeah. And Shane Black, we've covered before predator lethal weapon and then goes in a cold spell. doesn't write anything for two years, comes out of the cold spell. Now, what caused the cold spell? I don't know if it was just like he hurt his back playing basketball. I sure. think there were, I think there were some issues. <laughs> sure. Uh, 
comes out of that with this script that um, you've you found online. It's pretty easy to find online. The original script is pretty revered by action movie connoisseurs. So the thing with Shane Black is that you, I would actually recommend if people want to look around online for them is his scripts actually make really, really awesome reading because he spends a lot of time in the stage direction talking to the imaginary reader and doing a lot of like banter and, and funny asides in the stage directions, which are typically like, you know, camera pans to the left, it's dark, this happens. This is like, hey, asshole, it's Los Angeles, Joe Hallenbeck smoking a cigarette, but you already knew that. And it's like, you can see why his scripts really like got hardwired into Hollywood executives at that time who were like, I haven't seen something like this before, even if it's just like the way the wish in which this screenwriter is talking to me. It was almost making this screenwriter as omniscient God kind of thing. And he wrote Lethal Weapon. So he's basically ripping off Lethal Weapon in a bunch of different yeah. ways with this movie. But he's ripping off himself. So I think... I. I think we're good with that. Yeah, I mean, like, Shane Black, the original, I think the original title for this movie was Die Hard, and, and Joel Silver was like, I'm taking that for this other Bruce Willis movie. So yeah. everything is everything in, in, in this era, yeah. Also, you and I, there's a lot of things you and I love. We love mismatched partners. This is unfairly called a buddy cop movie. These, this is not a buddy cop thing. Jimmy Dix is not a cop. Uh, Bruce, These guys are not buddies. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Willis's character isn't even a cop, and they're not really buddies. But um, it's that mismatch device that works really well. I feel like if you and I ever went to some log cabin somewhere and tried to write an action movie, was, there would definitely be some mismatch partnership would be like the foundation and probably a road trip. We'd probably start with those two things. It would be like some like grizzled private detective and probably a, a crypto salesman. <laughs> or or a blogger who just finished a succession season <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now has information on the fourth season. Yeah, the mismatch concept works great. And it's got Willis, who is, you know, right in his wheelhouse of when he was one of the most famous people we had who made movies. Some people like to make the case that this is his best character and best performance. I've seen that out there. I just think Die Hard is, yeah. well, I, that's like an overthink. That's like basically be, you know, you're saying, I don't know if LeBron's 2016 game seven was his best game. It's this other, and it's like, no, stop. Come on. Let's not overthink this. Definitely think Joe Hallenbeck is in the same family as John McClane. And I would say that it's neck and neck in terms of the greatest hungover. Nobody has ever done hungover the way Willis has. I think he's our yeah. greatest hungover actor. Um, I, can I, can I push back on that? Okay. I think it's Don Johnson. I, I'll i allow it. I also think Nolte is in there. Nolte's in the mix. Oh, no. Well, Nolte was drunk. I don't know. If they, <laughs> does that count as hungover? <laughs> he actually, he's got the flask out. He's just popping from if, it. If, I, if you and I have like a long night out and you're like, how are you feeling this morning? I think I would just text you a picture of Nick Nolte. Right. <laughs> in 48 hours. Uh, yeah. I think this character is like drunk McLean, basically. Yeah. Or Dirty John McClane? It, it, he basically like does this. He does Joe Hallenbeck for the first like 30 minutes of Die Hard with a Vengeance. You know, where he's yep. just like, I have a fucking hangover. You know, like that kind of thing. But he does it the entire movie for this. Yeah, it's... I wish it wasn't cl as close to Die Hard as it was. Die Hard came out in 88 in Christmas time. This comes out in 91 Christmas time. So that's basically three years. 
they're not they're they're just too close i think as characters except for the uh the hungover thing but same kind of like witty one liners he's a little more sarcastic in this i actually rewatched this i hadn't seen it in a couple years cuz for some reason it's not on that much I thought him and Wayans had really good chemistry. I think they're incredible in this together. And it's so weird that they didn't get along on the set because it doesn't seem like that at all. It seems like they... Well, they don't it, get along for about 80% of the movie. It's really right. only in the at the end that they start, quote-unquote, vibing with each other. But the antagonism feels really real throughout the movie. Like, they, their, their dislike for one another is palpable. Willis really needed this one. Wayans we knew a lot less of. Wayans... Cup of coffee on it on SNL. Beverly Hills Cop has one really funny scene. Um, kind of bounces around. He's in I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. Uh, he's in, uh, I think he's in the Hollywood Shuffle. He's around. People know who he is. For sure. But wouldn't say he's famous. Didn't didn't know if he could carry a And movie, when does it, In Living Color start? In Living Color starts right around here. Yeah. Like 1990, 91 range. And I think we had so few like up-and-coming, promising black actors, you kind of knew who all of them were. Like, I knew who Will Smith was from just when, oh, Will Smith's going to act. That makes sense. There weren't a lot of parts for for all of these people. And I remember, like, hearing about this movie and being excited because I liked Damon Wayans. It's like, oh, wow, he's going to be a lead in a Bruce Willis movie. It felt like a big deal. And he crushed it. He's really good in this. Didn't really lead to the movie career, I would have guessed. Not I would have bought a I would have bought a ton of Damon Wayne stock after. No, this I mean movie. you basically watch this and you know, uh you're you're thinking to yourself, does he does does is there a world where Damon Wayans has Jamie Foxx's career if it breaks differently? It it's like a it's like that kind of Reggie Hammond my career is different after this movie comes out part. And I guess like maybe because he was on in Living Color, and that was a really important show for a lot of different reasons at the time. Maybe you get pigeonholed a little bit as a TV actor versus a movie actor, but it's really strange because you go back, he made this movie comes out in, in uh Oh, he was in colors too. I forgot that one. Mm-hmm. This movie comes out in 91. The Damon, the Damon Wayne's vehicle was next year. The comedy Mo money mm-hmm. wasn't bad, but wasn't like a smash hit. Then he's in the last action hero playing himself, but that wasn't like whatever. And then the other big swing he had was blank man. And then right after that, Major Pain. Those two bombed. Last Chance was Celtic Pride in 96, which is one of the worst sports movies ever made. There's like a weird cult uh, retroactive. No, that movie's not that bad. No, it's bad. It's a bad movie. And then and then Great White Hype. <sighs> okay, Bulletproof. And then all of a sudden, the 90s are basically over. And he just, he never was able to follow it up. I wonder whether or not he was a victim of like, in a way that maybe Fox never really had to suffer through is like just a victim of people assuming he was a comedy actor and that they were always looking for comedy vehicles for him. Cause this movie, he's actually like, Jimmy is like a pretty tragic figure. Even at the end, it's not like he's going to go back to play quarterback. Like he's, he's essentially asking to be Joe Hallenbeck's like assistant private eye by the end of this movie. But, and by the way, I don't know why they didn't make the sequel. I just want to say for the record, Craig, I hope you're recording because it's important. I I did like Bulletproof with Damon Wayans and Adam Sandler. I'm good with that movie. I don't know. Where do you stand on that movie? I've, I've, it's been a really long time since it's, I've seen Bulletproof. It's solid. I think I've seen Celtic Pride since then, yeah. It is what you think it is. Yeah, so it just kind of never happened. And then he goes to TV and becomes a really big uh, sitcom star. Uh-huh. 
And I think he's had a really good career. He's certainly probably made enough money and all that stuff. But I think it's weird that he never had, he never was able to parlay this into a couple other ones. And I don't even think he got market corrected. No, and then you talking you about mentioned like, Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx, it wasn't until Ali when he kind of started to get taken seriously as a movie actor. And that was 2000, 2001. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm probably making a pretty easy comparison just because of the playing quarterbacks in movies about how like the NFL is full of druggy gamblers. Right. But just to go all the way full circle, Damon Wayans winds up the last big significant thing he did was being on the Lethal Weapon TV show. So it comes all the way back to Shane Black. Yeah, it's weird because I don't know anybody who doesn't like Damon Wayans. Like if if you were with like a group of people and somebody's like, I fucking hate Damon Wayans. You'd be like, what? what? That doesn't make sense. So I don't, I just think sometimes people have bad luck. They never have you know, that run. I think one more movie after this. Also, this movie didn't do phenomenally well either. Um, so the Geffen Film Company, which is, I think this was right around the time they got created, they bid the $1.75 million. Shane Black and Tony Scott both said the original script, which is online, was way better than the final film. Um, and we'll go into some of the stuff that is in that original script. But basically the wife is a much more important character and ends up killing Milo in the end. Milo, the bad guy. Yeah. So, um, so that's how that played out. Um, this movie was $43 million, a lot of which I think was post-production because they, there's a lot of stories a about lot, a lot multiple editors. <laughs> yeah. And, and like screen disastrous screenings. And then finally they were able to kind of get the right vibe for it, but it made 124.5 million. Our guy, Raj. He hated stunned, it. Didn't no. He? Oh, he liked three, it? Three stars. Wow. One of the weirdest sentences I think he's ever written. A superb example of what it is. A glossy, skillful, cynical, smart, utterly corrupt, and vilely misogynistic action thriller. So I would just review. say that even watching this now, it's almost... I, I almost like blushed at how dark it is, how how incredibly violent it is and how deeply cynical it is. It's sort of wild to imagine if he's not the biggest movie star in the world, he's in the top three or four at the time being in a movie like this. And I guess it's just like, you have to understand that that's just what these action movies looked like and felt like back then. I mean, Tony Scott's obviously this incredible visual stylist and there's just some amazing shit in here. But when you go and you like watch Corey's, the hit on Corey scene or just like, you know, close-ups of people getting shot and blood exploding everywhere. And you're like, no, this was like a blockbuster movie. This was like, this was mainstream entertainment. Well, they had to cut a lot of that stuff too. I mean, yeah, they, to get, this is to get a violent movie, but it was, they were like, this is NC-17. This is way too harsh. You've got to cut this stuff. It actually would have been interesting if this was NC-17. And I'm surprised they haven't done uh, the director's cut any of that stuff. So we should the, mention- oh, oh, go ahead. No, no go, you go. go. Well, I was going to ask you because you know I was a little younger when this first came out. I think I I don't I don't know if I saw it in the theaters. It's not out of the question, but I'm I'm pretty sure I did. But for you, I was wondering whether you were fired up about this for the football. Like, how much did the football stuff play into wanting to see this? And when you saw it, were you like, did did you think that the football stuff was rendered well? I remember thinking there was going to be more football than there was because of the trailer and the commercials and stuff. Yeah. And being surprised that basically the first scene is the only scene with the football. Now, I want to, I, I think we should do the categories because I really want to talk about 
the first scene of this movie is so important to the legacy. <laughs> we could talk about that for like an hour of, and a half. of this movie. Billy Cole shooting that dude's was like one of the craziest things I've ever seen in a movie theater and became yeah. a go-to reference for me in columns for basically 20 years until the early 2010s when people like producer Craig had no idea what you're talking about. But that was, I think, one of the five or six most stunning ways I've ever seen a movie open. Yeah. This fucking guy pouring rain, just <laughs> shooting multiple defenders, then killing himself on live on live TV during a game. And it was like, oh my God, we're off. Okay. Um, but this, I thought it was interesting rewatching this, how this movie really taps into some themes that oh my God, became yeah. real football themes. Dude, like, even, even the fact that it's basically gambling is coming. Yeah, gambling <laughs> is coming. It's going to overtake us all. And and by the way, that happened. Yeah. Um, drugs and painkillers, all that stuff. Uh, corruption, corrupt owners, LA football. It hits all of these things that feel very time machine-y. Like somebody came out of 2013 and gave all of these ideas to Shane Black, probably did some lines with them and then went back in the time machine. But it, and then he wrote the movie. Pre-247 news cycle sports hot take industrial complex stuff. Like he's basically talking about. I mean, you know, this gets touched on in any, any given Sunday. But I thought that the the part where the, of this movie where they're talking about like there are no heroes in this sport anymore. So to keep people interested, we basically have to drug them with gambling. I was like, that's pretty provocative for 1991. Like who, I can't, what, what is that? Cowboys era? Like who's, I guess that there's like an element to it where I get it, but I was like, this is pretty prescient stuff. You know, it was crazy. 1990 was the year I started gambling on football. Because <laughs> <laughs> the Patriots were terrible. And that was the first time somebody in college, we started gambling and it was like, Oh, so I'll have a favorite team every Sunday now. I don't have right. to just root for the Patriots to not lose by twenty eight well, points. Was there just like a book, a booker, a bookmaker in college? Yeah, yeah. We we're putting them in, and so that by the time this movie came out, I had been gambling for two years. And th those themes, I was like, yeah, preach, brother. They hook you with the gambling because I was totally <laughs> in at that point. You know, I'm like, that was like when I'm telling my mom I want to, I need money to join a gym, but it was really because <laughs> the fucking cowboys lost the tees. <laughs> mom, I'm joining a gym. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the, this movie taps into a bunch of stuff that would become themes for the next thirty years. And it's funny, I was thinking about how football movies have over and over again kind of either mirrored what was going on or mirrored what was about to happen. Going back to Rollerball. And roll yeah. the ball just lays out like football is basically human carnage, you know, for first sport. And we commoditize this and the game is bigger than all the heroes in it. Right. Then it goes to North Dallas 40, which is late seventies. Nick Dolte is the receiver. And he's basically trying to, you know, he, they're trying to push him out. He's addicted to painkillers and it hits that whole thing. And it's, it was dark. And then we get to, you know, this movie, 1991 and any given Sunday in 1999 and uh, even like Varsity Blues, even though that's a high school movie, but uh, Hell, program. Even, even Draft Day is kind of cynical about football. Yeah. all the, It's funny how all these football movies are way darker about football than I think we give them credit for. Even yeah. the, the program, which we did on this pod, but that's like a pretty rough movie. You know, it's, it's, it hits a lot of different themes, including there's steroids. not really a field of dreams for football other than like Rudy, you know, like there's not really like a, this is just beautiful stuff, you know, the right. fabric of America. <laughs> right. Rudy's the only one. And then Rudy in real life was such a weirdo. It kind of actually hurt the movie. So yeah, 
this is, I would say, probably the darkest of all the football movies other than Any Given Sunday, which is just batshit insane. We might have to do that one again. Any Given Sunday? We might Sunday? have to do that again. Yeah, we because that was one of the first rewatchables we ever did. We might have to bring back Van or Rosillo for that one and just kind yeah. of redo that one because that movie is just nuts. All right, we're going to do the categories. Today's most rewatchable scene presented by Grey Goose Vodka. There are many ways to enjoy a martini, but only one Grey Goose Vodka. Grey Goose, truly a product of remarkable imagination made with France's finest wheat, naturally limestone-filtered water distilled only once to honor its original flavors and aromas because they're that exquisite. Speaking of the perfect martini, let's get into the perfect scene. And what a way to transition. Let's transition to Billy Cole shooting four defenders as he's running. Uh... I have a lot of questions, Chris, but let's, I figured this would be like half the podcast, just the scene. All right. Let's set the scene. Football game, halftime, Cleveland versus Los Angeles. Cleveland's up 17, 10. I think they're covering at this point. (laughs) Our announcers are Vern Lundquist and Dick Buckkiss with Lynn Swan as our sideline reporter. Yes. They come back, they set up what's going on. They throw it down to Lynn Swan, who berates and interrogates this LA owner about why are ratings down? Why is attendance down? Where have all the heroes gone? I was trying to think like how fast this reporter would be fired in real life. Like imagine Michelle Tafoya if we ever found her doing this. But I just want this now to happen in every game I watch. I want Brandon Ingram, where have all the heroes gone? You've got 16 at the half. There's like 19 people at a Pelicans game. Can it's you like imagine Pelicans Pistons and the guy's just like Brandon Ingram, you must answer for why there are no heroes left. Can you imagine like Lakers Pistons on Tuesday on TNT? And let's like, let's go down to the force with LeBron James. LeBron, where have all the heroes gone? Player empowerment <laughs> is crazy. It just starts like putting them on edge. Anyway, that seems crazy. Cut to Billy Cole, who I think he does PCP in the locker room. That's what uh that's what is alleged later. I I imagine that I, I don't know why he did I always PCP. thought it was cocaine, but yeah, when you read like the Wikipedia, they say it's PCP. Who knows? Goes into the game. Now we fast forward to the last two minutes. They throw him like a little swing pass. For some reason, he's wide open in space. It's pouring rain. There's never been more rain, I don't think, ever in a football game. Somehow he's running. He's got the gun in his pants. So did he, I mean, we're doing some nitpicks now, but like, did he have the gun in the pants the whole quarter? Did he bring it onto the bench? I think he's coming out from halftime with the gun is the implication. But they say it's near the end of the fourth quarter. So uh, we fast forward ahead. It affects his burst. Okay, like I don't think he's getting out above the second level. He's not getting past the linebackers with such grace and acceleration if he's got a semi-automatic weapon in his back pocket. How does he know it's not going to backfire on him? Well, I think Billy knows his fate at that point. Yeah, yeah, probably doesn't care. So breaks like four tackles with the gun in his pants. Yeah. And then just says, fuck it, and just starts shooting people. Somehow he breaks four tackles, then shoots another four. Um, do we think he scored? <laughs> doesn't he? Hard doesn't to say. He I, fr- I freeze framed it. It seems like he turned around and went down to his knees in the end zone. Are you asking for gambling purposes? I, you know, they needed a touchdown there. So I was trying to wonder like if he scored, is it ruled a touchdown or is it unsportsmanlike conduct? Cause you shot four guys. I we don't, would have I don't know. to ask FanDuel if they honor those bets. <laughs> <laughs> we've decided to honor the Billy Cole game. 
uh, our, our condolences to the families involved in the uh, the multi shooting. So then he uh, says, "Ain't life a bitch?" Right. And shoots himself. Ain't life a bitch. Do you think they cut away on the broadcast during this? Okay, so first of all, yes. Yeah, I think that they're like... After the first shot, they're out. Yeah, they're out. They go to like black, I think. Test signal. Second of all, like there's a, there's a bunch of stuff that we have to hit here. First of all, there's only apparently one spotlight on in this entire Cleveland stadium. <laughs> they're playing this game in a German expressionist film. The rain is, you cannot like underestimate the rain. And Tony Scott, who I'm sure it was like a football fan, and we've done a bunch of Tony Scott's movies on the rewatchables, but his idea of what football is like is way closer to what Zack Snyder does in 300 than it is to like football, right. football. He's just like, these guys are absolutely tearing each other limb from limb. It is right. the most barbaric depiction of football. And well, then, on top of it, it's a pouring rainstorm, which he uses the same device five years later when he does the fan, which right. is a pretty terrible movie, but ends in like a pouring rainstorm that they're playing baseball in for reasons that remain unclear. But same thing, cool. like yeah. it's dark and rain. So obviously he just thinks sports should be played in darkness with rain. Also probably a way to save extras. Yeah. Save so you don't have to fill the whole stadium, which is weird because they fill a whole stadium at the end of the game, end of the movie. Right. Right. So I don't know what to make of any of it, but yeah, keep going. Do you think that Vern Lundquist read the script? <laughs> Do you think, think so? they were like, Vern, come on in. Just do this opening VO. Because I can't remember. Does Vern Lundquist say like, oh, Billy Cole's pulled a weapon? Like, is he, he doesn't narrate it, right? No, he doesn't. Right? No, because so we're in slow motion at that point. I feel really bad for Vern Lundquist, who's probably like, I'd love to be in a, a film about football with Bruce Willis. That sounds great. Right. You think they didn't tell him what happens with Billy Cole? I, I don't. I would imagine they did not share the pages with Lynn Swan, Dick Butkus, and Vern Lundquist about, by the way, this is what happens next. Somebody should have had Vern Lundquist come back and do play-by-play for this scene and make believe it was the deleted scene from Last Boy Scout. There's, there's <laughs> Billy Cole, a little swing pass. Yeah. Oh, my! <laughs> uh, so anyway, this scene was a watershed scene. Yeah. It, it, weirdly, I, you could argue the movie peaks in the first six minutes because it's just the, one of the most insane things I've ever yeah, seen. Because it's in a also movie. got the 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 Bill Medley the the Friday Night Football song, the entire right. like the opening up the, with the Hank Williams style song. I had that in What Stage the Best, but uh, I thought that was brilliant. Oh, awesome! Friday yeah. Night Football, <laughs> they like just like such a parody of everything. Just players just crushing each other and. Hard hits. Uh, next rewatchable scene. Joe goes to uh, his his house and realizes there's a guy in the closet. Yeah. See, there's all this steam in the shower like somebody was just in there. Only your hair's dry. So it must be somebody else we're talking about. The male's somebody because the toilet seat's up. Since he's not under the bed, I figured you must have stuck him in the closet when you heard my key hit the lock a day early. So... Who's the guy in the closet? Jesus Christ, nothing changes. You're still a lunatic. Gonna tell me who it is? Who's the guy in the closet? That whole thing. It just, he gets a little detective-y, the wife. Call your therapist, Joe, because you are losing it. <laughs> Our guy, Bruce McGill, who yeah. used to be that guy, but now he's Bruce McGill. And, uh, and all of it leads to the, uh, the car blowing up. The first of several car bombs in this film. Yeah. 
Uh, next one would be Jake opened the trunk. In the trunk. Give me the keys. Slow and easy. Give it to Jake. Oops. You dumb bastard, you're gonna pay for that. Jake, open the trunk. When the trunk gets opened and yeah. Um, Jimmy's speech on the NFL stance on drugs and gambling. Oh yeah. Which is clearly Shane Black, like at 3.30 in the morning after one more pot of coffee and God knows what else. And he does this. They start with Demerol because your <laughs> knees are shot. <laughs> Craig, play some of that for us. Then I get a call from the fucking league. And they're saying, hey, kid, your career's over. I say, why? Because I gamble. Why is there a fucking injury report in pro football, huh? Nobody else has one. Pro football does. You know why? And so the gamblers will have a fucking accurate spread. It's all business now. They push you until you blow your fucking brains out. Just like Billy Cole did. Can't you see those fucking hypocrites took away my fucking life? That scene's great. I really enjoy that whole thing. Classic um, early 90s disgusting amount of blood dripping from his lip, too. Like, that yeah. was a big... 90s, like a guy getting, yeah, drip, Drip spit, spitting blood. Yeah. Next one I have as Joe versus Kim Coates. If you touch me again, I'll kill you. baby. Oh, baby. Two for two. We got a two for two. A guy, Kim Coates, who's going to be coming up later for the That Guy Award when uh, just a great bad guy. Mm-hmm. And he's been just a bad guy in multiple movies. But Joe telling him, don't do that again or I'll kill you. And then he actually kills them, which raises the question, can you kill somebody doing that? Apparently. Yeah. I definitely don't want to find out. <laughs> they always said Tyson would try to, he would threaten to do that and try to do that. He would try to punch somebody to push their nose through their brain to see Ugh. if he could kill them. Who knows? Anyway, great Kim Coates scene. Also, the goofy guy in the background with the weird Pablo. face. Yeah. Yeah, Pablo. Where's that guy from? I never recognized. I mean, I recognized the face, but I didn't recognize the actor. I just also love whenever you got... This was a real uh, maximal use of hitmen with interesting like affectations. So Pablo's playing piano. Taylor Negron is like, make him a cocktail. Like, There's like a lot of like... Oh, it's like a very Tarantino era. Like everybody who's who's got a gun is also a very interesting person. Well, Tarantino, when he was on one of the rewatchables we did, he was talking about much. She loved this movie. Maybe it was when we did Unstoppable with him. He was talking about Tony Scott. The 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 bad guys in this movie feel very Tarantino y, but Tarantino hasn't made a movie yet at this point. Right. It's so right I wonder when, how much it influenced them. It's right when this movie ends that Tony Scott gets the script for True Romance and for Reservoir Dogs and he, yeah. he makes True Romance. And then by the end of the 90s, having the quirky bad guys was, you know, almost a cliche. Every yeah. movie had those. But this was one of the first. I, I'm going to give him credit. Uh, the stuffed animal scene with the car chase. The stuffed animal is great. The daughter coming out of the woodwork. I don't know how the gun fits in there. That was another. I'm doing all the nitpicks before we even get to picking nits. But not sure how the gun gets in the stuffed animal, but great job. That's a great scene. And then uh, the big ending. Yeah. 
the football game. The, which the sh- features Damon Wayans with a bullet through his hand, somehow throwing a football high enough to five hundred yards, five hundred <laughs> yards in the air to hit hit the senator in the luxury suite. Uh, you have the the big fight in the in the stands with yeah. the lights and the people watching. You have Damon Wayans riding around on a horse. That scene is like on cocaine. There's uh yeah, it features basically the greatest throw in football history. Yeah, saves a senator's life. Bruce Willis. Also, then there is an active shooter moment where Taylor Negron is just shooting at Damon Wayans while he's riding a horse. And Bruce Willis and Taylor Negron get an extended fight that ends with Bruce Willis dancing a jig. Hey, what the hell is he doing? I don't know. Is he dancing? It's It's like he's dancing. You know, for a dancer, he's one hell of a detective. I guess I should have put in here this scene when the, oh, I guess I did with the car chase, when the car chase, it lands in the pool with the Hollywood rich guy. Yeah. Hollywood Hills rich guy. (laughs) The cars going down the hill are really, really cool how they do that. I've never seen cars go down the hill at that angle without flipping over and then it lands in the pool. But that, I just thought that was a really cool chase scene. So my only other rewatchable scene would be the strip club with Corey and then the, the, the Corey car chase murder scene right after that. I guess if you I didn't, I didn't like seeing Halle Berry get murdered. So I left it out. No, I don't want, no, no, I'm just like, I, I, it it hurts my feelings when they take her out. I feel like they could have just like had her take one in the shoulder. We'll we'll probably get to that, but that is definitely one of those, like we didn't know what we had. And then it's like, that's just a small part, but it winds up being this movie star. What do you have for most rewatchable? It's the opening scene. I could watch it like a hundred times in a row. There's there's always something new that I notice in it. It's so good. And why aren't there any heroes left in this game? <laughs> you could argue this is why football had to leave LA after that scene. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, prove me wrong. LA has no football teams within two years. Uh, all right, that's it for most rewatchable scene. This year, start up the holiday cheers with the vodka your martini has been waiting for. Grey Goose, vive la martini. You know you only deserve the best, so head to drinkgreatgoose.com. Code rewatch for free shipping. Sip responsibly. Imported by Grey Goose Supporting Company, Coral Gables, Florida. Vodka, 40% alcohol by volume. Distilled from French wheat. What's age the best? The Friday Night Football montage we mentioned. Who is Bill Medley? Am I supposed to know who that is? Isn't he in the Righteous Brothers? Is that who that is? Okay. Yeah. How many Matt- times do you, do you think Joe Howenbeck was physically assaulted in this movie? Because it's a what's age the best for me. He's not even like blinking by the end of it. Oh, I mean, the CTE is raging. I don't know how many times he takes a headshot. He's got like so many direct hits in this movie. So seven times he's hit in the face. Three times hit in the back of the head. He's tasered and he's stabbed. (laughs) (laughs) So my question for you, Chris Ryan, is he abused more than Marvin and Midnight Run, or does Marvin still have the title for no, Marvin, most abuse? I feel like, I feel like Marvin has less blood loss than Joe. Like Joe is taking, like when Joe is, is getting beat up by the, the mobsters in the pool house, yeah. it's really bloody. I think Marvin has such bad CTE that like Chris Nowinski has gone to visit him to see to see just what happened during that during that car chase with De Niro. He gets knocked out three different times. He gets three, yeah. con- three knockout concussions in the movie. <laughs> He's forced to retire from being a... What was that job? What was... Uh, 
bounty hunter. Bounty hunter, yeah. Yeah. So Joe Hall, I'm back. That's at what stage the best for me. Willis just gets nobody's better at getting the shit kicked out of them in movies than Willis. I was trying yeah. to think who who is like a better actor for that. I don't know. He always gets his in the end, but it it's yeah. funny to think about the the Al Pacino speech in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that's all about like showing you get your ass kicked by the young guy, which means the young guy is now surpassing you in the the sort of pecking order of Hollywood stars. Yeah. And Bruce Willis never had that ego. Like for most of the movie, Bruce Willis is getting his 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 butt kicked. Um another what stage the best. I really like the football card. Yeah. And how he writes to the daughter of the last Boy Scout. As you know, we've done over 200 movies at this point. Nothing makes me happier when they weave the title in to the movie in some sort of unique way. This was about as good as it gets. The last Boy Scout on the football card. Fantastic oh. handwriting, considering he yeah. just did a, a handful of drugs in the bathroom. <laughs> right, he's coked <laughs> up. Uh, apparently that was, I tried to research what that card was, and it was uh, the set called Pro Set. That came out in 90, basically early 90s. We got to get Geo on to talk about it. <laughs> well, I don't think the pr there's a big pro set market because I think they flooded the market with pro set. So be like, oh, cool. I got my Drew Bledsoe pro set. And there's like, you know, 10 million of them. I, this is, you'll appreciate this. I think Fantasy would too if he was here. Pour one out for Fantasy. The, uh, when they have, the guy used to have a much better job but something bad happened. Yeah. And he was morally in the right, but he had to do what was right for him so he could sleep at night. But now he's in a much worse job. And we get the flashback and it's always like some senator child molesting some 12-year-old <laughs> or somebody committing a terrible sexual assault. Or it's always like the worst thing in the world. It's yeah. never like, I took the senator's car keys because his blood alcohol level might have been a, like a 1.1. It's always like the worst kind of assault. There's always a girl screaming and then our hero has to do the right thing. And then we cut back to him and he's like drinking a whiskey sour and some his whole dive life bar. has fallen apart yeah it's not just like yeah i became a like security consultant <laughs> it, right. was never, it was like no i'm now like living in my car with a dead squirrel the lesson over and over again is don't do the right thing if you have yeah i jobs. also think just look the other way the, it, it seems like secret service agent is the job with the most like precipitous fall from greece Right. It's like, if there ever is anything that goes wrong when you're a Secret Service agent, it's really, really bad. You yeah, know, they, for, never they never have like, he's just a high school basketball coach now. Former <laughs> highly decorated Secret Service agent. He's doing great. Still got three kids, healthy marriage. Do you think that you would ever recognize a Secret Service agent enough to say like, I just wanted to shake your hand? Like they, like they no, did to Joe Helen? The, the goal is never. Yeah. And then they, then also he, he uh, foils the assassination. Yeah. He gets shot. It's just quite a job. What was that movie that we liked that's not quite good enough for a rewatch with Michael Douglas? The Sentinel? Yeah. Yeah. That same one where it's like the flashback and um I don't In know. In the line of fire, plot. he keeps his secret service job, but he's haunted by by being late on the uptake on the on the Kennedy night. Let's when we do our mismatch movie on the road trip, maybe as the guy's driving at three in the morning on I-84, he has the flashback. Of when he to, was a secret service agent. He, yeah, or some bodyguard for a celebrity and but there's maybe just people whole, screaming. His fall from grace is just driving Trump around the block three times <laughs> <laughs> when he had COVID. He wanted to go to McDonald's. <laughs> Trump had COVID and I knew the whole time and I didn't tell anyone. Uh, uh, That's why I'm an alcoholic private detective now. <laughs> 
Is there are there non-alcoholic private detectives, or it's just if you're a private detective, you have to have a drinker problem? I, if I'm a private detective, I'm raging at the depiction of my profession in cinema. It's like yeah, you're, you're you're just sitting in a car, smoking cigarettes, eating fast food, and you're an alcoholic with a flask. And every time you introduce yourself through your profession in a movie, like if you're like, yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a private dick, people are like, you're a piece of shit going yeah, through other people's fuck trash. <laughs> like, well, fuck actually. you. <laughs> uh, another what's age the best. Another thing I love, bad guys saying the full name of somebody as in the derisive way. Taylor Negron, who we'll get to later. Don't, don't worry, we have a whole Taylor Negron section. But when, but it would be like if I just decided to be a fucking bad guy dick as we were doing this podcast, and I was like, I know you like that one, Christopher. <laughs> You'd be like, why are you calling me that? <laughs> Stop, or if I called Craig, Craigery. Um, <laughs> it's just... And if you were calling me William, I would just be so mad. I'm like, fuck you. Stop calling me William. I don't like that. Um, but it's so effective. It's such a great way to be like, oh, this guy's a fucking dick. Yeah. I, I get mean, it. His, we, we could talk about him in a bit, but it's a it's an incredible antagonist. Wayans' hat in this movie is really cool. And I, I'm I'm bummed it hasn't come back. The the sort of like the fez kind of thing with the like yeah, little what, tassel. Yeah. And what's funny is Halle Berry wears the same kind of hat in Boomerang. Oh yeah. So there's like a two year run for this hat, and then it's just gone. I bet like, I it feels like, I don't know. LeBron could bring that hat back in five seconds just by wearing it on one Friday night game. Post Omicron, I'm I'm going back to that hat. I'm going. Yeah, do it. First time Chris, you, see you me should at the bring office. it back. <laughs> yeah, you should bring it back. A couple more would say is the best. I just like the the exchanges in this movie are really good, and, and they're funny to see in a script. But it's like, fuck you, Joe. You were never around. I was lonely by a dog. Yeah. Yeah, I believe in love. I believe in cancer. <laughs> um, I'm fuckface. He's asshole. Like, yeah. just like a lot of that really, really super witty, but Willis somehow pulls it off, which I don't think a lot of actors could have. Yeah, even like the uh, the jokes about the hitman's wife before when the hitman's about to kill him and he's got him in the alley and he's just like, your wife, you're like, I'm going to shoot you. He's like, if you're after being with your wife, I might take two. Like, it's right. just like all those, all that stuff, which is delivered in such like a kind of, um, it, it, it's such like a almost inhumane way of talking, but it kind of fits for the whole worldview of the movie. Yeah. It's like tired, drunk, sarcastic, and dead inside. Yes. <laughs> that, that sums up the movie. Any other what's age the best? Halle Berry, uh, mm. just in general, but just like her brief stint. Um, and it just even like, she's actually like, just brings so much to a kind of a nothing part. Like when Corey goes and talks to Joe for a minute in the in the strip club, like it's just actually like, she's like, whoa, this person's just leaping off of screen. Um, so it's really, it's it, that's another thing is that when you go back, if you haven't watched this movie in a while and you go back and watch it, you're like, oh, Halle Berry's in this movie for a while. She's in it for four or five minutes. Right. And obviously in love with her after this movie. She does. She was in Jungle Fever in 91 and Last Boy Scout in 91. And then she played Angela in Boomerang in 92, which Van and I did for Rewatchables a few months ago. And one of the conceits of Boomerang was Eddie Murphy doesn't realize right away that this is the girl he should be with. Right. Which is just so ludicrous if you saw The Last Boy Scout. Like, right. just for five minutes, you're like, who is that? That is one of the best-looking people who've ever been on a movie screen. When when, when am I getting her in a movie again? And then she's playing basically the Lori Laughlin secret admirer 
oh, I didn't realize I was attracted to you, Roll. It's, it's a stretch. It's a problem with Boomerang. The only other thing I wanted to say that ages the best is, and we've talked about, we talked about this with JFK, where there's a scene in a mystery film or like a, a noir movie where the main character meets someone who basically explains what happened and what is happening in the movie. So in, yep. in JFK, it's Donald Sutherland. But in this movie, it's when he goes and meets uh, Shelly, the, the, the owner of the LA Stallions. And he's just like, well, I'm going to kill you. So I'll just tell you the whole conspiracy. Right. But the conspiracy is actually really cool. You know, and I, I think it's actually a really interesting conspiracy where, like, you know, they bring up like whether the mob will be upset about sports gambling being legalized and needing this senator's vote and blackmail and blackmail counter blackmail. I thought like the conspiracy for this movie is actually like you could do that today and it would still work. Well, and on top of it, Jimmy Dix is trying to get back into football by having yeah. his stripper girlfriend blackmail the owner. Which also seems totally realistic. Like, could that happen to Jerry Jones? Maybe. It's not inconceivable. Are, are we sure it hasn't? Yeah, maybe it has. It's been covered up. Next, Seth Wickersham and Don Vernatter <laughs> report. Uh, all right, we're going to do What's Age the Worst, but let's take a break. This episode is supported by State Farm. Think about your first reaction after you have an accident. What do you do? You scream, oh no, or man, oh, why did this happen? On the flip side, let's say you buy a new car or you lease a new car, get in there and it smells great and you're like, man, this is awesome. But just remember, really the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. What's age the worst? Joe's hatred for rap music. Yeah. It's tough. Made a lot more sense in 91 as like a throwaway line to make him seem grizzled. Old but white guy likes Pat Boone though. Like, it yeah. seems, like even then you'd be like, don't, doesn't this guy like Tom Petty? Like, <laughs> well, meanwhile, rap and hip hop are just exploding and having like one of the great years that, you know, in a, in any musical genre, taking a leap. So that that one didn't sit right with me. The Jimmy Carter lookalike is so terrible. <laughs> what he was looks that? Like one of the dolls from the Land of Confusion. My music God, video. <laughs> <laughs> what what's happening? They couldn't have found a better Jimmy but, uh, Carter. That just seemed like it was from a different movie where Tony Scott was like, "We need to ground this film in American yeah. history." <laughs> Now they would CGI it. It would be more realistic. They should probably go back and CGI now. The first dad-daughter scene, I think, is bad. It's long. I don't like it. It's, it's long. long. Yeah. The daughter's like too angry. It's that Daniel Harris, who has, plays the same part in like four different movies for over the course of her adolescence. Right? Yeah, yeah, she's Halloween 4, underrated. I think the most underrated of all the Halloweens. Um, but that, that scene was too long. And then, um, yeah, there's some... There's some misogyny stuff, but I felt like it was Yeah, there's 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 the typical like 
homophobia, misogyny, yeah, like, just, in the humor and stuff. Yeah, I felt like that was on brand for late eighties, early nineties. It certainly didn't jump out at the time. Any other what's age the worst for you, other than not finding out the final score of the Cleveland LA game? Uh, this film's concept of uh, roughing the passer. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like NFL rules have deviated away from Tony Scott's conception of what's an appropriate amount of contact for the quarterback. Do you think Tony Scott had ever seen one minute of a football game before? I think he, he was like, movie? so it's like rugby, but with helmets, right? Got yeah. it. And, and maybe, and, but you know, knowing him, I bet, I bet he's like, like for all I know, he was in like a huge Raiders fan, you know? I doubt it. I, I think, uh, he probably watched one football game and it was coincidentally probably the most violent game of the year. He probably watched like some Pittsburgh Houston Oilers game that some had like Buddy six Ryan people get kicked body out. Yeah. Game. Yeah. <laughs> Buddy, <laughs> Buddy Ryan against Pittsburgh. Any other, uh, what's aged the worst? I thought um, I was surprised by how this movie had aged better than I expected. Yeah. The only thing else that I would say aged the worst was uh, Joel Silver and Bruce Willis's relationship, which just right. seemed like it was combustible to say the least. Let's go to uh, casting what ifs. There weren't a lot. I was disappointed. I thought for sure there would be like seven different. Well, this is the era of like it was sent to this person. So it's like, do you want to say that Jack Nicholson was up for Joe Hollenbeck? If he, I don't, I just don't believe that. I did. I had that, and I saw that in the research. I didn't believe Jack Nicholson. We do know that Tony Scott wanted Grace Jones to play the Halle Berry part, and the studio overruled them. Okay, nice job by them. We know that John McTiernan declined to direct the film. Because it was another Bruce Willis thing. So I think that was probably the right move. And he didn't do Die Hard 2 as well, which was, yeah. This is, I'm stretching it with casting What If, but it's so incredibly important. Tony Scott hated Joel Silver so much after this movie <laughs> that he then based Lee Donowitz in True Romance two years later on Silver. Yeah. And we talked about this when we did our True Romance pod. We broke this down. And what was the guy's name in that movie? That the, we, we named the award after him. Saul, Saul Rubinek. Saul yeah. Rubinek. We've you had the overacting the award. Yeah, yeah. And then Vincent Hanna took it back, but it was the Saul Rubinek. You stabbed me in the heart. Um, he hated Joel Silver so much. He made that Coke, Coke addict, uh, crazy movie producer basically was Joel Silver. And everybody knew it. And it was his fuck you to Joel Silver. And Joel Silver I, apparently went nuts when he saw it. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I can't remember. Do we ever to figure out like what coming home in a body bag is the which Joel Silver movie is supposed to be? <laughs> I don't know. What a classic movie that is! Yeah. All right, best best that guy. Okay, the Joey Pants Award. So McGill doesn't count. McGill doesn't count. I think it's Kim Coates because I knew that guy forever and I never knew what his name was. And then I had I was like, oh, his name is Kim Coates. I think the other guy, the uh, would you say his name was Pablo? I think. Whatever that guy's name is, is that guy. There's no question. And the guy who plays Shelly, the owner, is that guy. Right. I don't even know what that guy's name is, but I think it's so that's Kim Coates. No Noble Willingham plays Sheldon Marcone, and then Pablo is played by a guy named Frank Collison, who's is just... Actually, I, I would probably go... Frank Collison, I think, is probably my, my that guy. All right. We'll give Kim Coates and Frank Collison a tie. I was thinking, though... Do we create a Bruce McGill award for that guy who graduated or from being we, a that guy? We could do that, or we could bequeath Joey Pants to Bruce McGill, the McGillicuddies, we could call uh, it or we something. Can't do that. The Joey, we can't do it to Pants. Can't take it away from Joey Pants. Well, we've done, you know, we, we went Vincent Hanna, Linda Partridge, you know, we, we've, we've moved around some designations. There's three people who are 
Joey Pants graduate, Bruce McGill, Chelsea Ross, who plays the senator, and, and this completes the sports movie Mount Rushmore for him, <laughs> if you want to call this a sports movie, because he was in Hoosiers, he was in Rudy and Major League. Yeah. The other that guy, who's a really good that guy, who I think has faded because he kind of peaked 70s, 80s, 90s, but Joe Santos was in a lot of stuff. Um, he's the guy, the police sergeant, who has the generic. Oh, I had him in my hand, like the guy who's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. I let him the walk guy right out, screaming at Joe. So yeah. those are our guys. The Vincent Hannon, give me all you got award. He was one candidate. I had him in my hands, and then uh, the daughter, I think, dials it up. And that's the daughter. Scene. I also have uh, the cop who thinks that free agency ruined football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That guy, that guy invents Colin Coward. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that guy got hired by the fan two weeks later. Yeah, late night show. Deanne Waiters. Uh, all due respect to Kim Coates, it was a great scene. He did a great job. He has nothing to be ashamed about. But Taylor Negron. Yeah. Wow. This Unreal. is everything we want from Deanne Waiters. It was easily the best performance of his career. He's one of the better bad guys. We even see him. We think he's dead. He just gets out of a burning car in a pool. He's fine. Just shooting people. Um, every scene with him, he's kind of mesmerizing. And I'm actually surprised he wasn't a bigger star. I guess maybe there was nowhere to go after this. What do so you think? This this scene, like when he's like doing the, uh, can we do formal introductions and like all that stuff? Like that became the the hipster kind of ironic, funny, but also incredibly scary villain. By the time you get to like Con Air, that's de rigueur. Like it's like kind of like, yeah, let's make Steve Buscemi the craziest guy here. Let's take yep. this person and invert it. I can't really think of an I mean, I guess Alan Rickman is also kind of like that, where it's like so I feel like Alan Rickman invents it and then Taylor Negron shows that you don't even need that famous of an actor or that big of a part to do it. But some of our listeners may not understand like the context of like. Taylor Negron was like the guy you would see do like six minutes on Letterman, right? Yeah, he was a comic. Yeah, and was a was a pretty like you know funny observational comic. Seemed very much like a product of Los Angeles comedy. It's kind of just amazing to see him as like the most violent killer in this movie. I was trying to think who the modern version of him now would be, and it would definitely be somebody on SNL. It'd be like Kyle Mooney on SNL, right? If he was just all of a sudden this homicidal maniac in a movie like this. You're like, wow, Kyle Mooney. He was in Punchline and he really peaked with this movie and uh, he's just incredible in it. I really think he pushes this movie to another level. Yeah, when he's like, officer, there are too many bullets in this gun. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you make a great point, Christopher. Um, recasting couch. You want to do it for then or you want to do it for now? Now for then. I feel like we can do better than Chelsea Field. All due respect for Mrs. Scott Bakula. She's fine. It's a better part when it's written in the, as it's written, though. Like, who knows what Chelsea Field, you know, could have done. What if I gave you Renee Russo in this part? I like how Chelsea Field wears the kind of what it must, the toll it must have been to be with Joel Halabek. Like when we come mm. in and like, they're just kind of like living in their own filth and like their marriage has really failed. The daughter's all fucked up. She's sleeping with his friend. It's just like Renee Russo has a kind of like, you I feel like she would have gotten out of there already. Yeah. She just feels like, uh, you know, what, if, if we ever do the, the two for the money pod, we could talk about this, but like, I just feel like she wouldn't get dragged down by somebody like that. 
What do you mean if we ever do? <laughs> what does that mean? Is that some sort Just waiting. Of, I'm waiting. Are you, are you challenging me? I don't know how many me? times I can, I, can, I can see this with you. Listen, we have the rewatchable scouts. They're scouting that one. We're checking it out. All right. So if you're vetoing Rene Russo, I think I have to throw Don Johnson in here in the Joe, Joe part. I would love John, John Johnson. That's a nice, nice time for Don Johnson. He's a little older. He's seven years out of Miami Vice. And it goes back to what we were talking about with Damon Wayans. Never had the right movie part. Yeah, he Sonny just got, Crockett was the best character I ever played. He got done lobbying Oliver Stone to play Jim Garrison. <laughs> right. He, he did, that didn't work out. Tough year for him. Hey, he Oliver, loses. you haven't returned my calls uh, about playing Jim Garrison. <laughs> I was just wondering, should I take that as a yes then? Like, Oliver, I, as I said in my last message, Miami Vice, we wrapped a year ago. I have a lot of time now. <laughs> I, think he, I think this basically could have been an awesome Sonny Crockett movie part. Yeah. And he just would add cigarettes all the time. And uh, I think he could have nailed it. All right. Half-assed internet research. We mentioned very troubled production. The assistant director, James Scotch DePole, I think that's how you say it. He attributed the tension on set, quote, overabundance of alpha males on that project. Bruce was at the height of his stardom. So was Joel. So was Tony. So was Shane. Joel told The New Yorker, this making this film was one of the three worst experiences of my life. Shane Black Seemed to agree. He said he was forced to keep rewriting it. Studio wanted this to be a diehard Bruce Willis follow-up. The whole movie is about him saving his wife. I did that in Die Hard. Let's fix that. Change it. And they kept changing it, kept tweaking it. We'll get to some of the stuff in a second. Um, Did you see the football experts were for this movie? No. Craig, I can't wait till you hear this. Our two football experts for the movie scenes, AC Cowlings and OJ Simpson. No, no, they're not. A hundred thousand percent yes. Those were our two <laughs> technical experts for no, the football scenes. No, stop fucking around. No, they're not. I am not fucking around. You can look this up. Taylor Negron says this in one of the interviews he gave. OJ Simpson, AC Cowlings. Holy shit. I didn't know I think- that. <laughs> That might no, be the best no half-assed research you've ever had. Yeah. That's great. I have no response. OJ's like, yeah, yeah, the shooting seems fine. <laughs> what about decapitation? Can we get that in here? Um, yeah, so that happened. The uh, conversation between Joe and Jimmy about the $650 pants was actually a deleted scene in Lethal Weapon, and Shane Black repurposed it. They filmed the big football scene at the Los Angeles Coliseum. And a riot nearly occurred in the second day of shooting because they canceled the recall for that day. The extras all showed up, thought they were getting paid. They said, you can go home. People were mad. They surged the barrier and they actually had like an, a near riot. So on top of all the other stuff, fortunately, OJ Simpson and Al Cowlings were there to calm everyone down. How many people died in this movie, do you think? Uh, it's like 25, right? 27. Shane Black's original script was different in the following ways. Second half was completely different. Milo and Shelly Marcom, bigger characters. This was great. I, as you know, that I love this rabbit hole. But Milo had a job as director of snuff films. Yeah, in which his men would kill, kidnap women in very violent ways. What a deranged human being to write this. <laughs> He's like, not enough's going on here. What about a snuff film? Milo in the movie kill in the script kills an entire family who actually shows up near a place where they're having a meeting. 
There's a big boat chase scene that gets taken out, two shootout fight scenes, and there's a different final showdown between Joe and Milo. Milo gets killed by Joe's wife. By Sarah, yeah. So, it, so well, other than say, that, it's the same. Worth noting, just if you get a chance to read the script, if you don't, because life's short, but I would just say that you can see how the changes that Silver and or Scott and or Willis make affect what is originally now what Bill described is obviously like incredibly violent and and over the top. But there are little things like um in the beginning when you see Jimmy and he's like at like this NFL party or national national league party, and he wakes up and the the other football players abusing the woman, he throws a football in his face to stop yeah. him. That's like one of like two or three scenes that really like sort of sets up what Jimmy is doing with his time, which is just kind of like drugging around and hanging around the outskirts of the game. But it also really sets up like the Jimmy character. And it, it's, 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 I would almost like be curious to see someone make the Shane Black's shooting script. I don't know, I think you could make this movie today, but there are a lot of really cool character building scenes in the screenplay. If it's, it's worth watching, reading if you, if you get a chance. Or maybe that's how they do the Netflix series. Right. Apex Mountain. Bruce Willis, no. This is just an all time yes for me. The Wayans brothers. You got Damon and Last Boy Scout, and mm-hmm. then you have all of them in the Living Color, which is becoming one of the coolest yeah, shows Keenan on TV. Yeah, Keenan is basically like the Lorne Michaels of the moment, right? Yeah, the family's having a moment. So I'm going to say yes for them. LA NFL home games, I have to say yes. I think just, <laughs> just those two games. Like, think of all the stuff that happened. Has it ever gotten better for LA football? No. 1990s Halle Berry? I'm going to still say Boomerang. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would agree with you. Boomerang more than this. She gets more screen time. Danielle Harris, I'm going to still say Halloween 4. Uh-huh. All due respect to her. Halloween 4 is a good movie. Tony Scott, no. Joel Silver, probably not. No, I mean, Matrix, Die Hard, there's a bunch. Anything else for Apex Mountain? Oh, I had one more for you. Early 90s, kind of cokey LA. I still think True Romance. Yeah, I I prefer True Romance. I was gonna say my my Apex Mountain would be six hundred and fifty dollars leather pants. Don't mm. think that they ever really got more uh, popular. And I think this is Apex Mountain for hangover acting for like the, a character being hungover. Wow, I I still might go Sunny Crockett, but I got to think about it. With no Jack Cates on that, ah, this sucks. <laughs> That's true. Maniac gets a hold of my gun, starts shooting people. Um. <laughs> All right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna pick some nits, but let's take one more break. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with twenty five thousand miles on. I got it to over two hundred thousand miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Pick a nits. You want to go first or should I? Well, pick a nits. I'll go, I'll give you one. 
Jimmy, I just feel like should be way more upset that his girlfriend was brutally murdered right yes. in front of him. Yes. I felt like he, he gets just, over it pretty he shrugged that off in 10 minutes. He's at he the diner. He seems more concerned with the fact that like he's not going to get back into the fo- into football because yeah. her, you know, because they've lost the evidence of the blackmail than than her I death. Get, yeah. My guess is maybe she wasn't the only girlfriend he had or something. I don't I don't know. He no, did, I mean he, he says that, that in the off. beginning. He's like, I nail everything that moves or whatever. What do you have for a nitpick? Yeah, there's no more football after after, after the Billy scene. <laughs> like they're not like, huh? Well, next week we'll see if the Stallions can recover from their star running back committing mass murder on the field during a game. Lynn, back to you. They're just like two weeks later. They're like, we're back here. Not only that, a senator is at the game. Like that's fucking crazy. There would be no more football if this happened. Do you think they should add Billy Cole's chalk outline on the five yard line? <laughs> just to remind people. Yeah, that's interesting. Craig, will you come on for a second? Yeah. Craig's like, uh <laughs> Craig, first yeah. of all, your your thoughts on the Billy Cole scene, never having seen this movie before. Um, really just shocked the hell out of me. I this entire <laughs> movie, I don't think I've ever seen a movie crazier than this. Uh yeah, it was wild. I also agree with Chris. It was pitch black in that stadium. I have no idea why. <laughs> so you think they shut the whole season down or they take a month off? How do they handle this? Knowing the NFL, they don't shut down. Yeah. What week What week is it? Oh, interesting. If, if playoffs are two weeks away, they're not shutting it down. It's cold and raining in Cleveland in the first scene, right? Because they're in, they're in, they're, they're, it's an away game, right? It's in Cleveland, right? So it's maybe November, December, maybe yeah. early December. If it's like week 14, they're not shutting it down. <laughs> I thought it was in LA, but I think you're right. It was in Cleveland, which just add this to all the terrible things that have happened with <laughs> Cleveland professional sports. It's where Billy Cole murdered five people, including himself. Uh, yeah, maybe they shut down a week. Week 11, games are canceled. Week 12. They make a thing about it. They're all wearing like colored cleats. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Somebody gets suspended for putting Billy Cole's number on their cleats or something. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, Craig. Um, why wasn't the daughter in school? This makes me think. No idea. Is it, was is this, it Christmas break? I mean, maybe it, it was Christmas break. Might I have mean, all Shane sense. Black movies are basically Christmas movies. So I was wondering about that. But yeah. So Jimmy, Jimmy Dix plays two years for the Stallions. 89 and 90. He's banned from the league on gambling charges. There's also rumors of drug abuse. Yeah. For some reason, this is Joe's favorite player. <laughs> as the daughter tells us. Do, do we buy that in a million years? This guy, Joe, hates rap music, who that just seems like he likes getting drunk, just became uh, totally enamored with the young black quarterback and the LA Stallions. Or do you think... Could you see him with like some six foot five white guy from this Texas? Is an, this I think is an this, incredible point because the other thing is, is that Joe is already disillusioned from being washed out of the Secret Service because he caught a senator sexually right. abusing a woman. Right. So it's not like he is an idealistic chap. He's not right. like, you know what I really believe in is this is this toolsy quarterback yeah. for the stallions. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but like, and then she's like, you, you, your fall from grace erased his love of football. Like that's literally never happened. Nobody's like, I just don't like football anymore because this guy turned out to be a prick. It'd be funny if they had a second scene where, where Joe was like, 
you know, it was you and it was Randall Cunningham. <laughs> and you guys were taking the league in another direction. And then you let everyone down. Uh, I also, another nitpick. I have a lot of questions about Jimmy and his wife getting back together. At the end? Yeah. I think pretty, that that's like a, pretty a, sure they're not getting back together. Three days later, they're just like, so you're not going to quit drinking, huh, Joe? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and you're not going to get a job. Does Joe get paid for any of this? Does he make well, money from the, this? Well, they have the suitcase, the suitcase full of money because Marcone takes the the Okay, so the he takes some of the money. All right, good. Yeah. Any other nitpicks? Uh, I mean, we covered a lot of them. No, I mean, nitpicks is just like, could Jimmy make us with a bleeding hand throw a perfect spiral into the upper deck of the Coliseum to save a senator's life from a sniper's bullet? That's my we, nitpick. We really <laughs> needed Chris Collins, Collinsworth announcing that one. Well, oh, Al! <laughs> oh my God, Al! What a throw by Jimmy Dix! Jimmy Dix, he can sling it. <laughs> oh my God! I mean, he told us he was feeling good, Al. But to have a bullet hold in his hand and throw that ball eighty nine yards, it would be cool if like Romo called that as Jimmy gets on the on the horse. <laughs> Huge play, Jim! Oh my God, he's gonna throw it for the senator. <laughs> <laughs> Huge play, Jim! Uh, could this be remade as a 10 episode Netflix show? I'm intrigued. Would you want like a, a Stallions show or would you want a Joe Hallenbeck show? Can I give you an alternative idea? Sure. Can we have a show about the making of the last Boy Scout ripping off your idea about Jaws once this, upon a time? Th this is why you're the best. Come well, on. if OJ and AC Cowlings are there as technical <laughs> consultants, let's get the behind the scenes show. Adam McKay, come on. The phone lines are open, baby. <laughs> got Joel Silver, Tony Scott, Bruce Willis. It's C. Horlbeck at Spotify.com, Adam. <laughs> uh, I would love that one. Okay. Probably unanswerable questions. We talked about one already. Did the movie foreshadow the gambling era? I think it more than foreshadowed it. I think it put a bright, pulsating light on where things were going with gambling and sports. Kind of amazing to rewatch. Shelly, the owner. Mm -hmm. So Jerry Jones precedes the owner by two years because I right. think he buys the Cowboys in 89. But Shelly, the Venn diagram of Shelly and Jerry Jones, let's just say there's a ton of overlap. Do you think this was a Jerry Jones character? I Well, so it, it fell a little bit of that, and then there was a little bit of Glanville in him, I thought. You know, a little bit of just like that Texas cowboy, but his whole character is such a trip, man. This was a, a trope in movies a few times where like the kind of giddy, seemingly a little bit drunk guy from the South who owns the team... <laughs> Right. They would put in these different things, right? Or they'd be a booster or whatever they would be. Is right, he also is... supposed to be a little bit like Bud Bud Adams? Like I don't I don't even know, right? Like the guy who owned the Oilers. Well, that's that was my other unanswerable question about him. How does he end up buying the LA Stallions? Why didn't he buy like oh, I'm sure he moved, Dallas? He, I'm sure he moved them there from somewhere else. You think he moved them from like yeah, San they Antonio? Were like the little rock stallions and he moved them to LA. Yeah. And why are they called the LA stallions? What is about, what is stallions about in LA? So it had to be like the San Antonio stallions and they moved them to LA. Right. Well, I, it's weird. Cause in the script, there's references to real NFL teams. Like they're playing the bears in the first week, but yeah. so I, I'm sure the NFL was like, you, you, you cannot even make reference to like that. This is the same sport, but yeah. Yeah, they asked Pete Rozelle for the real uniforms and they sent him the script and he only needed to read three pages. And he's like, okay, <laughs> permission denied. <laughs> All right, this is a really good one. This could be a turn the camera on moment. 
crazier football game to attend. Your nominees are pouring rainstorm. Billy Cole shoots four defenders and then himself with two minutes left. That would be number one. Number two would be the final scene in this movie, which features Jimmy Dix. The, the disgraced LA suspended from the NFL quarterback, Jimmy Dix, somehow on the field, throwing a football pass toward a senator's box that gets shot in midair, a sniper. He's riding a horse. There's just all kinds of chaos. And then somebody falls to their death after being shot 40 times. Is that a crazier game to attend than Billy Cole killing four people and then himself? I, I think that in the, at the, like, cause there's so much more that happens in the second game. I'm going to go with the second game is the crazier one. I think that's the right answer. I was trying to think like, if you come home and you tell your wife or girlfriend or significant other about what happened, you could pretty easily explain the Billy Cole thing, like this fucking guy was on drugs. He that had would a gun. He just shot people. The equivalent of Pete Rose comes running out of a dugout. <laughs> It just shoots seven umpires. Slides into home base and somehow saves like George Bush's life. Like, wow. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. It's a longer it story, be, the second game. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Okay. Uh, what piece of memorabilia would oh, you want I, from I this movie? I have one more probably unanswerable question. Let's hear it. Do you think that uh, Urban Meyer watches this movie and he's like, pretty accurate? <laughs> <laughs> Could use some more leaks. <laughs> Uh, what piece of memorabilia would you want from this movie? I would want the autographed football card. I actually think that would be an amazing collectible. Yeah. The actual card that Damon Wayne signed that they used in the movie, if that was a prop, that would be really cool. I would want the dropped cigarette that Kim Coates gives Bruce Willis. <laughs> He's oh. like, May I have a cigarette? I seem to have dropped mine. <laughs> we should have put that in Apex Mountain, dripping blood from the mouth and nose. I think you're right. I think this was the apex for that. All right. This is tough. Who won the movie? I think that Willis is incredible in this, but I want to give it to Damon Wayans because I think that there, this is just a dynamite movie star performance from him. And it never, he never captured it again. He never got this opportunity really again. But I don't think that this movie works if it's any number of other like hot young thing Hollywood stars who play like against, against the younger grizzled veteran. I agree with you. I think multiple people could have been Bruce Willis, including Don Johnson. I don't know in 1991 who else could have been Jimmy Dix. Right. Eddie was too old. Denzel wasn't going to do it. And he was too established at that point. It's Wesley Snipes makes it weird. I think Jamie Foxx, it's too early for him. But I think like by like 1998, 1999 range, Jamie Foxx could have easily done it. Yeah. And then I think we have way more candidates once we move into this century, but it's like right time, right place for, Wayans and he's really likable in it. He really is. It's he's really good, and uh, it's a bummer that he never got uh, better scripts or that his manager never found him one. I'm with you. I think, I think that's the right answer. I was gonna say Tony Scott, but I don't even think people necessarily think of this as a. I don't even think Tony, Tony Scott, Scott movie. Yeah. So I like to think. I think Tony Scott's like. There's probably some good stuff in there, but this sounds like it was an agonizing movie to make for him. Yeah. Well, when somebody writes the movie about. uh cocaine late 80s 90s movies that just where there's just lots of weird stories and weird shit going on this will definitely be a chapter this is the, the last second Boy half of goodfellas of that decade <laughs> <laughs> uh all right the last boy scout that's it um this was produced by our guy craig horlbeck 
We'll be back with one more movie uh, next week, and that will be it for 2021. Don't forget to go on Spotify if you want the entire archive of everything we've done. Don't forget to listen to The Watch. What are you going to talk about now that Succession's done? Station Eleven, the new HBO Max show. It's coming out on Thursday. It's really great. Oh, good. Yeah, it's incredible. Who's in it? Um, Mackenzie Davis, who was in Halt and Catch Fire, but it's based on this big novel. Oh, I like Mackenzie Davis. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. All right, cool. All right, Chris, good to see you. Good to see you, too.